0: Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, September 2nd, 2022 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, what to know about the new booster shots from the New York Times? And Muscle aches and pains, not side effects of statin use, from New Atlas. Plus, high blood pressure and diabetes are linked. Here's how to reduce your risk, from time. And more time permitting. Here's our first report What to know about the new booster shots? The FDA has cleared new shots targeting the latest version of the Omicron variant. When should you get yours? Here's what experts recommend. By Danny Blum from the New York Times. With fall and winter looming, along with an anticipated seasonal surge in COVID cases, the Food and Drug Administration has authorized a new tool for babbling the pandemic. Updated booster shots. The new shots target the Omicron subvariant, BA5, the dominant version of the virus. These retold boosters could be available as soon as next week. Here's what you need to know. When will new boosters be available? An advisory committee to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is expected to meet later this week to offer recommendations for the new shots. The updated boosters could roll out just after Labor Day. It typically takes around one to two weeks after you get the shot for your antibodies to kick in. Aubrey Gordon, an epidemiologist at the University of Michigan, said. Where can I get the new booster shot? The new vaccine will most likely be available at pharmacies, doctor's offices, and community health centers. Many mass vaccination clinics across the country have closed, so you may have to seek out a new vaccination site. You can search a directory of sites at vaccines.gov. That's vaccines.gov. Dot gov. Who is eligible? The FDA authorized the Pfizer-BioNTech booster for anyone 12 or older who received an initial vaccination or booster shot at least two months ago. Adults 18 or older can get the Moderna vaccine if it has been at least two months since their last vaccination. What is the difference between the Pfizer and Moderna boosters? Beyond the difference in age criteria, there is no practical difference between shots, said Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at the University of California, San Francisco. From your body's immune system perspective, it doesn't remember which brand it is, he said. Will this Omicron-specific booster entirely replace the other boosters? The new booster shot is a bivalent vaccine, meaning that it targets two versions of the coronavirus, the original strain and the Omicron subvariants BA4 and BA5. The previous booster shot targeted only the original version of the virus. The new shots will most likely become the only available boosters. The FDA no longer authorizes the previous booster doses for people 12 and up. People who have not received their first doses of the vaccine will still receive the original vaccines that were rolled out in late 2020. How long should I wait to get the new booster if I recently had a shot or got COVID? The FDA authorized the updated boosters for people who were at least two months out from their last shot, whether that was the original vaccine or a booster, but you might want to wait longer experts said that, in general, people should wait three to six months after immunization or infection. That's because your body will probably not generate much of an immune response so soon after a previous encounter with the virus, Dr. Gordon said. Your immunity level is so high that you'll just neutralize immediately the antigen that's being produced. You kind of reach a ceiling, she said. You don't have that much higher to go, she added. Does the new booster offer better protection than past ones? The previous booster shots provided robust protection against severe disease. There were, however, people who had breakthrough infections even shortly after receiving booster shots, including President Biden. Doctors expect the newest iteration of boosters to offer more protection against breakthrough infections, but they won't be bulletproof. It's not a game-changer, Shane Crotty, a virologist at the La Jolla Institute for Immunology, said, but it is going to be better. There is not yet real-world data on how these bivalent vaccines perform in humans. Infectious disease experts compared the process of creating the new boosters to that of the annual flu shot, which is updated each year and primarily tested on animals, not humans. I'm not worried at all, Dr. Chin Hong said. They're not using any new ingredients. It's like you're still making brownies. You're still using chocolate, sugar, flour. Maybe now you're using more chocolate, he said. Will there be more boosters in the future? It is unclear whether this will be the last COVID booster offered or whether there will be new boosters on a regular basis. The United States could offer the vaccine each year around the fall, similar to the flu vaccine if the virus surges, become predictable, Dr. Chen Hong said. But the pandemic's trajectory has been anything but straightforward, and it's hard to anticipate the state of the virus over the next few months, let alone the next few years. If the virus had not evolved, we probably would not need any new shots now, Dr. Crotty said, adding, it's really up to the virus. Up next... Muscle Aches and Pains, Not Side Effects of Statin Use, Large Study Finds, by Rich Handy, from New Atlas. A meta-analysis encompassing data from 23 randomized clinical trials and more than 150,000 participants has concluded muscle pain or weakness is not a common side effect from statin drug therapy. The important findings indicate most experiences of muscle problems while taking statins are not due to the drug and should not influence whether a person ceases the treatment. It's been estimated that around one in five people stop taking statins due to perceived side effects, often muscle aches and pains. Despite placebo-controlled clinical trials not detecting muscle problems to be a relevant side effect of statins, the idea has become common among many patients and clinicians. This new study looked to settle the debate once and for all by closely analyzing data from 23 large clinical trials encompassing 155,000 participants with follow-up time of at least two years. Nineteen of the trials analyzed were double-blind, comparing a placebo with statin therapy, and four trials compared high- and low-dose statin treatments. Looking at all the placebo-controlled trials, the new study found 27.1% of statin patients reported muscle pain or weakness, compared to 26.6% in the placebo groups, reporting the same effects. The only side effect signal the new research could detect was was a mild 7% relative increase in reports of muscle problems in the first year of statin therapy compared to placebo. After the first year of treatment, all reports of muscle issues were similar between placebo and statin groups. Colin Bajan, principal investigator on the study, said this means the vast majority of muscle problems in those taking statins are not related to the drug. Only 1 in 15 reports of muscle pain while taking statins can be attributed to the therapy, and this is only during the first year of treatment. The known protective effects of statins against cardiovascular disease greatly exceed the slightly increased risk of muscle symptom, explained Bajent. For example, every 1,000 people taking a moderate-intensity statin, the treatment would cause 11 generally mild episodes of muscle pain or weakness in the first year with no significant excess in subsequent years. Over a five-year period, statins typically prevent 50 major vascular events in those with pre-existing vascular disease and 25 major vascular events in those with no pre-existing vascular disease, with longer treatment yielding larger benefits. Nilesh Samani from the British Heart Foundation said the findings should help reassure patients that statins are safe and effective. So if signs of muscle problems do arise while taking statins, patients should not immediately assume it is a side effect of the drug and stop their medication. Samani also noted the findings indicate how common muscle aches and pains can be in older people, and the new data does not mean these problems should be dismissed by doctors and patients. Almost one quarter of patients who participated in the trials reported such symptoms, whether they were taking statins or placebo said Samani. It is vital that the genuine concerns of people who do experience muscle symptoms are not dismissed and that doctors have continued consultations with these patients to ensure their medication is tailored to work best for them, Samani said. The study was published in the journal The Lancet. Up next, high blood pressure and diabetes are linked. Here's how to reduce your risk for both. Excess weight may play a role in why diabetes and hypertension so frequently show up in tandem. By Markham Hyde, from Time. High blood pressure, also known as hypertension, and type 2 diabetes are two of the most common medical conditions in the U.S. Unfortunately, they often occur together. Some research has found that 85% of middle-aged or older adults who have type 2 diabetes also have hypertension. In both conditions elevate a person's risk for heart disease, stroke, and kidney disease. These increased risks are significant, and in some cases, grave. Researchers have found that people with type 2 diabetes are up to four times more likely to develop cardiovascular disease than those who don't have the condition. People with diabetes are also twice as likely to die of cardiovascular problems. The leaps in rates of stroke, Kidney failure and other deadly complications are also substantial for people who have both high blood pressure and diabetes. Why do these conditions so often show up in tandem? Experts are still trying to nail down the precise connections, but they say excess weight may play a part. People who have hypertension and type 2 diabetes also have obesity, and this triumvirate, as some researchers have termed it, is associated with metabolic and endocrine problems that overlap and promote disease. Obesity seems to be fertile soil for both, says Dr. Sreenivasan Bedu, a professor of internal medicine at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Also, the sheer commonness of hypertension all but ensures that most people with type 2 diabetes will end up with both diseases. Roughly half of all U.S. adults have hypertension, and that percentage goes up with age. It can develop as early as ages 30 to 42, but in most cases, by the time you're in your 50s, it's there, says Dr. George Backrus, a professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. Although hypertension often precedes type 2 diabetes, Backrus says, diabetes is increasingly common in young adults and even children. It's more important than ever to keep an eye out for both conditions, perhaps especially if you're overweight or obese. Here, experts explain how high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes cause trouble in combination, as well as how to manage the conditions and reduce their associated risks. Understanding the connection. Every time a heart beats, it sends blood out into the body via the circulatory system. In between beats, the heart fills with blood. A person's blood pressure refers to two different but related measurements of this cycle. The first, known as systolic blood pressure, is the pressure inside the arteries when the heart beats and pumps out blood. The second measurement, known as diastolic blood pressure, is the pressure inside the arteries when the heart is resting and filling with blood. These two numbers are usually presented together, and they almost always rise and fall in unison. In the U.S., blood pressure scores higher than 130 over 80 are considered hypertensive. Bacris says hypertension is often called a silent killer because it may cause no symptoms. Even when a person's blood pressure is dangerously high, the symptoms that develop are so common and nonspecific, meaning they turn up for all sorts of reasons, that you may not connect them with high blood pressure. Dizziness? Headaches and blurry vision are among these nonspecific symptoms. By the time they set in, a person's blood pressure may have been elevated and doing damage for several years. What sort of damage? High blood pressure can stretch or injure your arteries in ways that raise your risk for heart disease, arterial disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular complications. High blood pressure also increases stress on the kidneys and some other organs. Type 2 diabetes is a medical condition defined by high blood sugar levels. These high levels are caused by problems related to insulin, which is a hormone that signals to the body's cells that they need to absorb blood sugar. In people with type 2 diabetes, the cells become resistant to insulin, meaning they do not properly absorb blood sugar. As with hypertension, the early symptoms of type 2 diabetes, frequent urination, Blurry vision, dramatic hunger spikes may not raise immediate red flags. If someone isn't staying on top of their doctor's appointments, they may not be aware that one or both of these conditions is present. How do these conditions combine in ways that contribute to health problems? Both affect the small blood vessels, says Dr. Matthias Brunström, a hypertension specialist and physician researcher at Umeå University in Sweden. Diabetes affects the vessels in ways that make them stiffer, and high blood pressure impairs their function. This stacking of arterial damage helps explain why the combination of the two conditions is associated with cardiovascular problems, including higher rates of heart disease and stroke. At the same time, both hypertension and type 2 diabetes may also promote higher than normal levels of blood sugar. Elevated blood sugar can damage the cells of the kidneys as well as the heart and blood vessels. Kidney disease, and ultimately kidney failure, is a common complication among people with both of these conditions. If you have systolic blood pressure consistently above 180, within 12 to 15 years, you will be on dialysis, Bacris says, referring to a medical procedure that removes, filters, and returns the blood to someone whose kidneys are no longer up to it. Elevated blood sugar caused by type 2 diabetes further damages kidney cells and increases the odds that the kidneys will struggle or fail to perform their job. Although cardiovascular and renal problems are two of the most common complications, hypertension and type 2 diabetes can cause or contribute to a wide range of health problems, from dementia to blindness. Both affect the vasculature, which can impair the health of any organ system, Brunstrom says. Fortunately, there are effective ways to manage both conditions and therefore reduce all of these health risks. What you can do. As is the case with most common health conditions, experts say that a combination of lifestyle changes and prescription drugs are often an effective one two punch for people with both hypertension and type 2 diabetes. First, I would say that lifestyle changes are the basics of all disease management, Brunstrom says. He re-emphasizes the strong associations linking hypertension and type 2 diabetes to obesity and the role excess weight plays in exacerbating many health complications. Obesity or overweight is a huge driver of both these conditions, so weight management would be very crucial, he says. Diet, exercise any way you can get your weight down is good he says even if you're not losing weight exercise is still beneficial it increases circulation around the body and improves function of the small vessels which might get blood pressure down he says it might also improve the sensitivity to insulin and reduce glucose he says that's all good stuff Even short of sweaty exercise sessions, spending less time sitting or in a sedentary position, walking, for example, or doing chores around the house on your feet, may be helpful. When it comes to eating, Brunstrom highlights the DASH diet, which is endorsed by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute for the Management of Hypertension. DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. The DASH diet involves limiting your intake of saturated fats, which are common in red meat and fatty dairy products, and also cutting down on your intake of salt and sugary foods and drinks. Meanwhile, the DASH diet recommends eating lots of fruits and vegetables. Other experts endorse these eating habits. I always tell my patients to eat healthy, which means more fruits and vegetables, less red meat, fewer high-carbohydrate foods, says the University of Utah's Bedu. Recently, some researchers have examined the benefits of intermittent fasting plans for the management of type 2 diabetes. These approaches involve limiting or eliminating all caloric intake for an extended period of time, usually 16 hours or longer. There's evidence that they may be beneficial. They also appear to be safe for people with early or mild disease. But if you have diabetes and are on medications, these diets can wreak havoc, Bacris says. If you want to try that, you need the help of a physician or accredited diabetes dietitian." he says. Weight loss surgery may be a treatment option worth considering. Recent research shows that bariatric surgery has helped both young people and adults get better control of their diabetes and hypertension. In some cases, especially those involving teenagers, weight loss surgery has removed the need for medications or even eliminated the diseases entirely. Apart from surgery and lifestyle interventions, experts agree that prescription medications are almost always necessary to manage these diseases. You can reduce your pill burden if you're really good on the lifestyle side, so eating right, reducing sodium intake, exercising regularly, Bakris says, But even on the low end, most people with diabetes and hypertension are going to require four to six medications, he says. Others agree that pills are pretty much unavoidable. I always compare taking them to doing your taxes or brushing your teeth, says Dr. Tom Brower, a cardiology resident and researcher at Amsterdam University Medical Centers in the Netherlands. It's not fun, but you need to do it, he says. In the U.S., medical guidelines recommend that doctors aim to get people with both hypertension and diabetes down to blood pressure scores below 130 over 80. There's some ongoing debate about whether targeting even lower numbers would be beneficial. Brower has conducted research in this area, and he says that in many cases, he's a proponent of aiming for a systolic blood pressure of 120. If a patient tolerates it, I tend to try to lower their blood pressure all the way to 120, he says. There are many different drugs used to treat people with both hypertension and type 2 diabetes, but two of the most popular options are angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors and angiotensin-2 receptor blockers, both of which help relax the arteries and so assist blood flow. Apart from being effective for hypertension, these drugs also help protect the kidneys. Diuretics, drugs that increase urination, as well as beta-blockers and calcium channel blockers are all common treatments. With these three drugs, an overwhelming majority of patients get to the target blood pressure, Brower says. For those at risk for hypertension, diabetes, or both, experts say that all the lifestyle measures above, a good diet, exercise, and maintaining a healthy weight, are among the best ways to lower your risks. By following your doctor's drug recommendations and trying to live a healthier life, you can protect yourself from serious complications. I tell patients, you can help yourself, Baccarus says, but you have to put in the effort. Up next, an excerpt from the column, Our Doc Will See You Now, from Health Magazine. Can fish oil supplements really ease joint pain? A common source of joint pain is arthritis, which can cause inflammation along with swelling and stiffness. Fish oil contains two types of omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, that have been shown to reduce inflammation. So taking a supplement could ease soreness and aches in your joints. Some studies have even shown that a fish oil supplement combined with a healthy diet and exercise can help people with osteoarthritis reduce their need for pain medications. You can get fish oil through your diet by eating oily fish like salmon, mackerel, and sardines. You can also get omega-3s from certain plant foods, including walnuts, chia seeds, and flaxseed. But fish oil supplements are typically the most efficient way to get the amount you'd need to experience a difference in your joint pain. The only downside? The supplements are known to cause fishy-smelling and finally, this fast fact, one in five, that's the number of adults in the United States who regularly experienced chronic pain during the first half of 2021, according to a recent study from the National Center for Health Statistics. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at